Good morning, Neighborhood Bible Church. How you guys doing? Good? Blessed. All right. Hey, that's a good answer. Um, I'm going to start off this morning by showing you a video. And I'll give some narration as it's going. But I do have to throw out a warning. Um, for those of you that... This, this video may, may change your image of me. For those of you that, that think of me as this, uh, this, this daredevil who, um, just will do anything without hesitation, without thinking through consequences, um, you're gonna get a different image of me by, by watching this video. So I apologize. Um, if, if, if you have me high up on a pedestal, this is, this is gonna knock me down. Uh, stamp me into the ground and then maybe dig me even a little deeper than that. Um, so just, just a precursor, uh, let's go ahead and roll the video. So it's hard to see, but, um, I am up on top of that cliff with, uh, my brother-in-law. Uh, we are in Redding, California. Um, and he said, Ben, we're gonna, we're gonna go up and jump off this cliff. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, foolishly so. Right now, he is uh, pointing out the one spot in the lake below that is actually deep enough that we can jump into. Um, it's not that big. It's probably about five feet wide, five feet uh, deep. Well, not five feet deep, deep, um, but five feet across. It's like a um, just a small little area saying, don't jump there, don't jump there, don't jump there. Oh, and definitely don't jump over there, um, but jump over there. Um, and my, my knees are knocking together. You, I, if you turn up the volume a little bit, you might be able to hear them. Um, no, but let's, uh, let's just continue watching. He's, he's done this plenty of times before. That's my sister, his yeah. wife, standing down there with their, uh, then newborn, first son. So as you can tell, it's, it's pretty high up there. And I said, you really have to get that far out? And he said, yes, you really do. Oh, and uh, Laura is actually standing there as well. Um, and uh, right about now, we're going to kick it into double speed. Um, so this is going to be going at twice normal rate on purpose. Oh, there are some chipmunks nearby, too. <laughs> Twice the normal speed. <laughs> and we're still waiting. Oh, here, here, oh, no, no. <laughs> that was Laura. She just yelled at me that I don't have to do it. And I said, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, this is taking forever, so Laura turns off the camera. And, and we're still going at double speed. <laughs> Oh, I sit down. Yeah. My legs are getting tired. <laughs> oh, and, and there I am. See me halfway down? Yep, there we go. Oh. And just in case you missed it. <laughs> Boo. Woo! <laughs> So now's the part where I tie it into what I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Just file that away. Keep, keep that in your head, okay? We'll come back to it later. So we've been talking about this idea of demanding. Um, and demanding... I love, the, I love the title of this series, and I'm going to talk about it in a couple of different ways. 
Um, but demanding in and of itself, as we've been going through this series, carries a dual meaning. Uh, demanding came out of the idea of the fact that Jesus demands stuff of us. As we read through the Bible, we realize that um, we're, we're told different things. And it's, it's not like you come to Christ and then you get to coast for the rest of your life. Jesus lays out different things for us to do. And uh, other writers inspired by God have also given us that, given us all these different things. And uh, we've been going through them all one at a time. Um, here's where we've been. We started out with um, talking about being born again. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, you've got to be born again. But the, the other aspect of this word demanding is that it's not just something that we're told to do, but it's also difficult. And if you keep reading in John chapter 3, you see that Nicodemus wrestled with this idea. He had a hard time with it. It was difficult. It was demanding. It was hard. And we've seen the same things as we've gone through this idea of believing. That yes, we're told to do it, but also that it's difficult. Same thing about putting on the new man. Same thing last week Dave shared with us about standing firm. That we're told to do it, but at the same time that it's so hard and that it's so difficult. And you guys, I'm sure, can look back through your own lives and see just how difficult it is. So this morning we're, we're talking about abiding. And it's another thing that is demanded of us and another thing that is extremely, extremely difficult. And as I, as I thought about this idea abide and as I, uh, started compiling things and putting things together, I, I saw a couple things that just didn't sit well with me. Some different views that, that people take of abiding, and I wanted to talk about those this morning. And talk about how to shift those views to a right idea of what it means to abide. So here we go. In your notes, you've got a couple wrong approaches. Wrong approach number one is waiting on God. And some of you might be looking at that going, Man, I thought that was a good thing, to, to wait on the Lord. But here's the way I'm, I'm talking about it. I'm a musical guy, and so as I was thinking about abiding, one of the first things that popped into my head was this song, Abide With Me. Many of you know it. It's a great hymn. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. So on and so forth. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh abide with me. Which is a great song and has great truths and a great meaning to it, but as I sat and thought about the lyrics, it, it, it hit me weird. And I didn't like it. And, and here's why. The problem is that some people turn the responsibility to God. This whole idea of abiding. They say, all right, when, whenever you want to abide, come abide with me. And I know that's not all that the song is talking about, so don't come and berate me afterwards, please. Um, but I just saw abide with me, and I thought about just so many people that, that come to Christ and then sit on their hands and wait for him to move. And wait for him to do things. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter, chapter 15. And we're going to see that Jesus tells us almost the exact opposite. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he's uh, about to be arrested. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Did you catch that? He was telling his disciples to remain in him. Not wait for me to remain in you. Wait for me to abide in you, and, and, and it will just come to you and life will be easy street. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He just said it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, there it is again, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, there it is again. He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. You. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. He's telling you how. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Here's the point of that. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in those ten verses. We are told to remain, to abide in him. But so many people take the flip side and say, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to move. My dad just read this great verse out of Isaiah chapter 40, 27. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? So many people sit and complain. This idea of waiting for God Waiting on God is manifested in other ways. Some people might say this. I'm waiting to feel God near me before I talk to him. No, no, no. I I don't feel him right now, so I'm not going to talk to him right now. And they're, they're waiting on God. Instead of going and pursuing him. Instead of going and running after him. And that's a problem. Some people take the same view with these big decisions. I was presented with a big decision a number of years ago. I was working over at Valley and was presented with the opportunity to to interview for this job up in the state of Washington where I knew nobody. Didn't even know the guy that I was interviewing with. Just knew the guy that knew the guy. Um, And so I kind of sat and waited for a while. Waited on God for for a right answer. And then I was told by people, no, you need to go pursue it. You need to go run after that answer. You need to go spend that time with God instead of just sitting and, and, and waiting for some sign or something. And a lot of people take that same approach. I'm waiting for God to give me a sign. No, there's there's other ways to approach this. You go and you knock on on doors, in a sense, and and say, I'm going to move forward with this. God, if it's your will, keep opening the doors. If it's not, close them. But I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to sit here like a bump on a log, giving you all the work and thinking that I don't have to do any of it. And that's one other thing I love about this title, demanding. 
is because inherent in and of itself, it points to the fact that we as Christians don't sit around and do nothing. It points to the fact that this Christian life is not easy. That once you come to Christ, once you come and surrender your life to Him, it's not all rainbows and roses. It's just not. And that's the reality of it. And a lot of people have a hard time with that and hold back from giving over to God because they're afraid of that. It's a wrong approach. Actually, we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. This is demanding. It's difficult. It's scary. It's kind of like young couples that you know they're supposed to be together, but they're just so awkward around each other, you know? And like, he he likes her and she likes him, but... He's not really saying anything about it because he's scared and nervous. And she's not really saying anything about it, but she's scared and nervous. And he's dropping what he thinks are hints, but she's totally not picking up on him. (laughs) Drives me up a wall sometimes. I'm like, will you just say what you have to say and get it out in the open? But they're so awkward around each other and they're almost waiting for the other person to make a move. And sometimes we treat God that way. We're just sitting around waiting for him to to make a move, waiting for him to come and get us. But the fact of the matter is he made a move 2,000 years ago, of which we're going to remember. He paid the ultimate price. He made a move. He said, I want you. And so I'm going to give everything for you. The ball's in our court. We need to be the ones that are making the move toward him. We need to be running after him. This idea of abiding is not something that God is going to do for us. It's something that we daily need to do. A wrong approach is just waiting for him to do everything for us. Here's another wrong approach. Pick and choose. How many of you guys like buffets? I love buffets. Especially when they're unlimited. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> but those of you that have been to many buffets know that you don't just take a slop of everything. You, you carefully evaluate each dish. And just because something looks like meat doesn't necessarily mean that it is, right? (laughs) And so you pick and choose. And you go through, ooh, that looks, ooh, that's really, is food supposed to be that red? Like, that just doesn't look right, (laughs) okay? Um, Unless you're my dad, and then you just slop everything on the plate and (laughs) just hope that it tastes like something. (laughs) Um... But many of us treat their walk with God like a buffet. Ooh, eternal life? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll take some of that. Some peace? Mmm. Ooh, take up your cross? Uh, I'll skip on that. Carry my burdens? Yeah, yeah. Mmm, more of that. Pile it on my plate. Sin no more? What? No, thank you. Ooh, comfort. Mmm. Can I get an extra helping of comfort, please? And, and they, they go through and, and pick this, but don't pick that. It's kind of like this idea of indoor skydiving. How many of you have heard of indoor skydiving? A bunch of you. Um, a couple of my friends recently went and, and did indoor skydiving. And for those of you that have been indoor skydiving, know that I would love to go. Like, it would just be a blast. And so I'm not here saying that indoor skydiving is bad. So again, please don't come and like berate me at the end saying how awesome indoor skydiving is because I think it is. But I think it just paints this beautiful picture. Here's the, here's the idea of indoor skydiving. And uh, if you want more details, you can go and ask Gria afterwards. Uh, he can give you a first-hand account. But 
In the picture, so there's the guy enjoying his indoor skydiving lesson. The other guy is standing on his two feet right next to him. Right below them is this big grate, and underneath them is this basically a huge fan that is blowing air up. So you get the feeling and the sensation of skydiving, but you leave behind the whole idea of stepping out of a plane, using a parachute, uh, going through all the intense safety training. All of that is just kind of left behind. And it's a lot cheaper, too, apparently. So you get all the thrill and all the uh, feelings, all the good, exciting feelings, and you get to do like all these twists and moves while you're in there. You know, you turn your body a little way and like it starts rotating. And so you get the feeling of skydiving without taking the risk of ever getting more than five or six feet off the ground. And the reason I put that, that title image on your bulletin is it's a lot different when you're standing in a plane. And the only safety net you have is in this little pack behind you, and you sure hope that when you pull that ripcord that it comes out and catches you. But outside of that, you got nothing. Nothing to protect you. It's all or nothing. It's risky. It's a hard decision. Those of you that approach God with this idea, that approach him like a buffet, he, he has some words for you. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. He can't stand it. He says, come on, either be all in, go for it, or don't. But please, choose one or the other. This whole idea of abiding, the, the branch can't say to the vine, um, I would like these nutrients, but if you bring up anything that might like hurt me a little bit, like I don't want any of that, please. It doesn't get a say. But some of us try to graft ourselves into God in such a way that, that we get the goodness out of him, but we get all of our stuff too. And we try to, to take the good things out of God that we want, but, but take the good things that are not of God that we're so used to and so comfortable with and, and want to hang on to those as well. But that's not abiding. It's not. So you guys remember the video? It's time to bring it in now. Here I was, standing on that ledge. Look at this phrase. Abiding becomes demanding when you realize all that is at stake. Now, when I agreed to climb up there, my brother-in-law didn't say anything about how big the, the hole was that I was jumping into. He said it was high. But he didn't really give me a good picture of how high it was. And even when I got there, my eyes kind of deceived me. I looked up at it and I go, oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you're standing up top, it's a lot higher. <laughs> I don't know what happens. Maybe the mountain moves and jumps up a little bit, but oh, <laughs> it's a lot higher. And so the reason I stood there for so long and, you know, Laura was turning off the camera and the reason she didn't catch the whole jump is because I was just sitting there. She's like, I have no idea when he's going to go. No idea. And so there's another, like, ten minutes that you're probably missing in the whole thing of me just standing there and looking. And it's like the guy standing there on the edge of the plane totally freaked out. Because he finally realizes that once you take this jump, once you take this step, 
there's no turning back. Once you really let everything go, you're out of control. And you have to trust in what's going to catch you. The beautiful thing is that we have a God that loves us tremendously and is ready to catch us and is ready to walk through with us through every good time, through every hard time, through every joy, through every trial. And he's ready. But the thing is, we've got to take that first step. We've got to get out of the boat, as Peter did. Peter didn't have an issue with abiding. He, he went for it. He didn't think. If he were standing up on that cliff, he would have jumped. Without even thinking about it. Without even waiting for Marty to tell him where to jump. He probably would have broken both of his legs, but he, he would have jumped. Because that's Peter. So many times I'm much more hesitant than Peter. I'm kind of a lot more like this guy. Go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 19. Starting in verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. <laughs> Which ones? The man inquired. He's shopping at the buffet. He doesn't want them all. <laughs> Which ones? Jesus gave him the easy ones, too. Jesus replied. Chicken fried steak. Um, <laughs> do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept. You're right. The young man said, what do I still lack? And here's the dagger, and here's where Jesus paints the picture of what it's like to step off the edge. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When the young man heard this, he stepped back from turned around and went away sad because he had great wealth. And it wasn't just the volume, but it was his attachment to it. And just as much that as we pick and choose what we want from God, we also pick and choose what we want to surrender to God. And I'm not going to get into that. That's something I, I put that as a question for, for you and your community groups to kind of dive in and wrestle with a little bit more. But it is demanding to take everything that God has, to take all that it is. Now, there's a difference between this and being born again. And I want to kind of make that clear. Okay, because as, as Dave and I talked about this topic, he goes, well, Ben, it's starting to sound like being born again. And I don't, I don't want us to kind of revisit that. And I go, no, no, they're different. They're different. Um, and, and here's the difference. It's, it's like this picture of marriage, and I just love it. And a while back, I, I, I talked about John 15, and I, I talked about this picture of marriage, but let me talk about it again. On October 7, 2006, yes, that is the right day, I got married. I remember. See? That's a good thing. Um, those of you that aren't married yet, it's important. Matt, don't ever forget, okay? <laughs> um, and on that day, I was married. But every day, I have to choose how I want to invest in my marriage. 
Every single day, I have to wake up and make the choice of how I want to invest in her. And some people treat their marriage like a buffet and say, ooh, I want to enjoy the good times, but when we start arguing, I don't want any part of that. And they shut down and turn off. Yeah, I, I want the good times, but as soon as we start having financial trouble, I don't want any part of that. And the reality of it is it's slowly chipping away and eating away and causing the marriage to crumble. So it's one thing to, to be born again, and it's a whole other thing to abide. Being born again is, is a one-time thing. And you, you, you pray the prayer, and you ask Jesus to come into your heart, and he says yes. You mean it with all sincerity. But then it's a whole other thing to abide. It's a whole other thing to walk. It's a whole other thing to wake up and choose day after day. I love Joshua 24, 15, because he says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Now, as he's talking, he's saying like, right now. But I like that idea, this day, because sometimes for me, I have to remind myself every day, hey, I have to choose this day who I'm going to serve. Oh, well, now it's Monday. I have to choose this day who I'm going to serve. Now it's Tuesday. I have to choose this day. Now it's Wednesday. I have to choose this day. And some people say, well, I chose yesterday, or I chose a week ago, or I chose on such and such a date, and that's when I chose. And now I just coast. But the problem is abiding is work. Abiding is something that we have to choose. Abiding is something that we have to invest in. Now, here's the fix. It's a perspective change. Now, I'm not here to say that, you know, if you do these six steps, um, then everything will be easy, or if you do this and this and this, then it'll be a piece of cake to abide. It never will be. Let me be real with you. It is never going to be easy to abide. Ever. But... If you change the way you look at things, if you shift your perspective in a way, as some of you are quizzically trying to figure out this picture, <laughs> it's an old woman and a young woman. Okay, let's, let's knock this out real quick. Um, the eye of the old woman and the smile, the eye is the young woman's ear, and the smile is the young woman's necklace, and the young woman's kind of looking away. Um, and the bump on the old woman's nose is the young woman's entire nose. Anyways, um, you guys all got that now? Good. All right. Now we can keep tracking. Um, If you shift your perspective, if you shift the way you look at God, if you stop looking at him as someone who's going to do it all for you, if you stop looking at him as a buffet, And start looking at him in a new way. Abiding will, will change a little bit for you. Here's the reality. God is necessary. I gave you one blank fill-in today. So please, bust out those pencils and write this in. The reason this is your only blank fill-in is because I want you to catch how important that word is. That God is necessary. But too often we don't look at him that way. We don't. It's easy to need God when life is hard. This is a common buffet choice. Common. You know, everyone goes and gets the sliced ham at the end. Everybody picks up some of this. I'll take some of God's comfort when when life is hard. Everybody. Prayer. 
When life gets hard, when life gets challenging, when life gets tough, you say, oh, well, I'll just start praying. I'll start talking to God. So the challenging question then, the challenging follow-up is, why should we need God when life is good? You know, if things are coasting along just fine, if I've got money in my account, if my job is secure, if things in my marriage are going well, if my kids are actually listening to me, if life is good, why do I need God? And some of you work that way. You walk in these doors and you come and you get your warm fuzzies. Oh, this is a good Sunday. Some good warm fuzzies. Oh, they sang my favorite song. And then you walk out with absolutely zero change. Jesus has words for you too. Out of Matthew... 23. And just listen. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And in case you didn't catch that analogy, he spells it out. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy. And wickedness. Some people treat their relationship with God in this negative way. And they say, oh, I'll, I'll come to God when, when, when things are hard, but when, when times are good, I'm just going to coast. I don't need him. Why do I need to talk to him? Everything's fine. God's there for when I'm having issues. So I'll talk to him then. And that's why I came to him in the first place is because, man, my life was tough and, you know, my, my boyfriend just broke up with me and, uh, you know, I just had all these tests and everything and it was just really hard. So I decided to come to God. And it really helped me out then. And, and since then, you know, like, yeah, sure, I prayed for him, you know, when my dog was sick and my dog got better and, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. God should not be on a need-only basis. I had a buddy of mine, well, we'll say he was a friend. This was way back in the day. Um, who worked at Apple. I knew his name. I knew what he looked like. And that was about it. And every now and then, I'd give him a call and be like, hey, how's it going? And try to catch up and make it look like I was interested in him. And I said, hey, can I use your discount for such and such? And, and that's all that he was to me. And then I'd call him up again. Oh, hey, can I, can I use your discount for such and such? You know, and I'd act like, oh, yeah, I'm totally his friend. I wasn't his friend at all. I wasn't. And some of us use God in the same way. It's just like flying on the inside instead of the outside. We want to experience that, that cool feeling and get some awesome pictures, but heaven help us if we jump out of a plane. Heck no, I'm not going there. And our relationship with God is the same way. Oh, yeah, I, I want some of the warm fuzzies, but I, I don't want to abide. I, I want help when, when times are hard, but I don't want to have to talk to him all the time. That's just ridiculous. So let me bring you to this. Who do you go to when life's rough? And why? Now I'm talking about outside of God. You go to people that you're comfortable with. You go to the people you know. You don't walk up to someone and shake their hand. Hi, my name's Ben. Oh, I had a really bad day. My marriage is totally on the rocks, and uh, I'm, I'm having some financial troubles as well. And I'm struggling with this and that and the other thing as well. And I really wanted to share that with you. No, that's just ridiculous. You don't do that. 
You don't go up to casual acquaintances and, and, and toss out your deepest feelings. And maybe you do, and you, you might want to change that. Because for, for those on the receiving end, and I found this out the hard way because I did that for a while, it's just awkward. I, I went up to this gal, and I didn't know her very well, but I, I went up to her and, and kind of opened myself up. And, and she just kind of gave me this look like, I wasn't really expecting that, and I didn't really want to hear that. No, thank you. Some of you may have been on the receiving end as well, and you know what I'm talking about. We seek comfort from someone with whom they're, we're comfortable. We don't go up to a casual acquaintance. See where I'm going with this? How can you be comfortable with God? Come and talk to him when life is rough. If you never talk to him when life is good. It doesn't go together. If we don't involve him in everything, it's going to be awkward when we try and go and talk to him when times are tough. God is necessary. We need him day in, day out. We need to be comfortable with him. We need to talk to him. We need to share everything with him. When you see God as necessary, you will run to him. Just like the prodigal son did. You'll run to him and you will want all of him. Every little bit. The good and the bad. You'll take the plunge. You'll jump off. This takes time. This perspective change. When we start looking at God as necessary, yeah, we'll start running to him. And yeah, we will want all of him. But it takes time to see him as necessary especially if you're used to treating him like a buffet. Especially if you're used to <clears throat> waiting on him to do everything for you. So give it time. Just like healing a broken marriage takes time. Healing any rocky relationship takes time. And healing a relationship with God that, that should have been treated in a different way is going to take time to get back to where you need it to be. But you know what? Communion is a good start. It's a great start. We're going to take communion here just a couple minutes. And maybe you have treated it like a buffet item in the past. Literally. Hey, nice tasty snack. Or... I feel close to God when I take it, so yeah, I'm going to take it. But the reality of it is, is that it's a lot more than that. It's a serious thing. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He broke his body. We eat his flesh. We drink his blood. Not literally, but that's what it's symbolizing. If you think about it, when we start taking that, there's no giving it back. When your body is broken, it's broken. It's diving in. It's all or nothing. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Is God on a need-only basis for you? Is God just a casual acquaintance? Do you not really know him? Band, go ahead and come on up. And I want to read for you your memory verse for this week. Ben's about to sing a song called Hungry. And here's your memory verse out of Psalm chapter 42. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And you hear the urgency that the psalmist has. He needs God. Song says, Hungry, I come to you, for I know you satisfy. Do you know God satisfies? It says, I'm falling on my knees, offering not just part, all of me. Maybe there's something you've been hanging on to that you need to offer this morning. Something that you've been holding on to and haven't wanted to let go that you just need to give to God. We're going to sing this song before we take communion. And I encourage you to use the time to get things right with God. If you need to fall on your knees, come on up front and fall on your knees. Or go in the back if you want to, fall on your knees. Or stay where you're at and fall on your knees. Whatever. Jesus, you're all this heart is living for. You're all this heart is living for. Nothing else. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? God, we just... We have to come to an understanding that we need you. Or abiding just isn't going to happen. God, please help us see our need for you. Our desperate need. Our desperate craving for you. God, bring us to a point where we're comfortable with you. So that we can talk to you about anything and everything. God, more than anything, make us hungry. Make us hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to read from Philippians 2. and There's two thoughts I want to draw out just in light of this morning. And first is this. It says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and really you could translate that or read that since you have this encouragement from being united with Christ, grafted into the vine, not by our choosing and not by our standard of rules, but, but grafted in, all in. And he goes on to mention some other things. He goes, let me, let me just kind of skip down. He says this, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And this is where it translates to real life. It's not, it's not the hypocrisy of kind of putting on an outer righteousness where we look good and we're kind of going through a religious ritual of juice in a cup. But he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. This demanding series is heading into how we treat one another. What is demanded in the home? 
What is demanded of your marriage? What is demanded of this church and how we treat the brothers and sisters of Christ? What is demanded of how we treat a pagan, one who reviles you, laughs at you, scoffs at you? That's where we're headed, is how we treat one another. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look out to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, just listen to this synopsis of Jesus' life here for a moment. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man... That's Christmas, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you can read the rest of it yourself. Go to Philippians 2.9 this afternoon. And, and the end of the story is that that name of Jesus is exalted. And so as we, as we take together this morning, we want to take this, this little cracker this little wafer here, and it represents his body that was broken on our behalf. So let's take this together and remember Jesus. And it says that he humbled himself. And this juice we're about to drink is representative of his blood that he gave to us. He gave for us on our behalf, opening up this this new and living way that we talked about at the start of the service. And uh, it wasn't an accident, it was on purpose, and it was a choice of his will to, to do that. So let's remember and celebrate Jesus' death on the cross as we drink together. Let's drink. Father, we don't pretend to to fathom all mysteries. God, we acknowledge freely this morning that there are so much so many things we don't understand god even in the physical realm much less the spiritual realm but we do know and we proclaim by faith that somehow this morning god your wounds from two thousand years ago heal us and god this broken body that you predicted and told very plainly to your disciples that it would happen so it gives a clear picture of what went on with the cross and the death of, of you, Jesus. God, we understand and recognize that you chose to do that on our behalf, and we just thank you for it. We want to celebrate that and sing about it. and uh, We feel stirred and moved by it, God, and I pray that it would translate to a life of worship, to actions, God, to abiding that goes on in our thoughts and abiding that goes on with our, our money and our time in our entertainment, in our direction in life, God. We thank you so much that you've chosen to abide with us and that we get to abide with you. In Jesus' name. Listen, we're going to just end by uh, singing this song, By His Wounds. And uh, it's just, again, it's kind of singing a bit of scripture here from Isaiah chapter 50, 53, that you could go home and, and read some of this so that we're about to sing. But it goes like this. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. It really is a celebration, God, to think on your death and to celebrate what was accomplished there on the cross. God, thanks for an amazing day of worship and getting to be together and do things that we can't do on our own, God. And that is just to lift our voices, join our hearts with other people. Father, I pray that you would dismiss us with your joy right now. Dismiss us with your sacrifice and the call to sin no more, God. We don't want to have a buffet, God. And Lord, we want to walk away with having all of us and all of you, God, uh, abiding together. We love you so much. And all God's people said together, Amen.